Welcome to Technovation. I'm Peter High. My guest today is Aether Williams III. Aether is the Senior Executive Vice President and Head of Strategy, Digital Platforms, and Innovation at Wells Fargo, a role he's held since October of 2020. In that role, he leads corporate strategic planning, defines and manages digital platforms and capabilities, and manages innovation priorities, opportunities, and company-wide efforts to drive transformation. Aether is also a member of the Board of Directors of Blue Shield of California, and he spent much of the past two decades in financial services, having served as an executive at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and J.P. Morgan prior to his time at Wells Fargo. Aether, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Great. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. That's my pleasure. But first, a word from our partner, Transmit Security, and the company's co-founder and president, Rakesh Loonkar. Transmit Security is a cybersecurity organization that focuses on identity experience and is enabling a secure and passwordless future. They also recently received the highest Series A venture capital investment in history for a cybersecurity company at a valuation of $2.2 billion. Rakesh wanted to share a couple of recommendations for technology and digital executives on how to improve a company's cybersecurity infrastructure. Thank you so much, Peter. First, I strongly recommend to take part of their budget and dedicate it to really innovative companies. It has to be built into the budgets up front so that it serves as a forcing function to really look for new technologies. The, the second recommendation is outside of identity. There are two very interesting classes of security technologies that are emerging. The first one is improving the quality of code to make sure that your developers are not introducing software vulnerabilities. The second is cloud security. I think we're in the first inning of hundreds of companies that will be created offering really innovative ways of securing the multitude of problems in the cloud environments. I just want to leave your audience with this a last thing. Every single time they have to enter their password, change their password, can't remember their password or any other problems, please remember transmit security. And now on to the interview. Well, as I mentioned uh, in that brief introduction, you are the senior executive vice president, uh, head of strategy, digital platforms and innovation, three different areas uh, that are called out there. Talk a little bit about uh, you know, each of those, if you will. I, I mentioned a little bit about your purview, but would love to have you kind of peel back the onion a little bit further on, um, as to what each of those entail. And of course, your, your, your and your team's responsibilities related to each, if you would. Yeah, no, I, I, I look, it's a, a set of priorities that some people don't always think go together, but they definitely do in the case of our company. So when I think about strategy, really the responsibility of that team is to work across our lines of business. We've organized ourselves around five lines of business, three focused on consumers, two focused on large companies and financial institutions. Work across those businesses, across all of our range of capabilities, covering our 69 million customers and all of our functions to really pull together a coherent strategy to serve those clients in an innovative way. One of those key pillars that we have as a company, our strategic pillars, is around technology and innovation. And having a much more digital first, you know, mobile first in terms of consumer banking, but not mobile only mindset. So digital platforms are a natural place to sit with me because now it's a transformation of how we bring together across our deposits and payments business, our consumer lending business, and our wealth management business, a consistent consumer experience that starts with mobile, but then will trans will um, easily migrate across our other channels, be it an ATM a branch, a financial, a financial advisor's office, et cetera. On the wholesale side, it's very similar. We cover everything from you know, sole proprietor, small business, all the way up to the largest companies in the world. 
And so thinking about how you knit together digital experiences across the vast capabilities we have between investment banking, capital markets, treasury management, our lending businesses, both you know broad and specialty, knitting that together across is really, um, it's an interesting challenge. And so that team is part of me. That's something I've done uh, prior in my career. And then innovation is really that, that fuel for the future. So we're looking at the challenges we're seeing from our, our clients who are presenting us today, whether it's an individual, when to rethink how they move their money around the world or how they invest their money, or it's a company um, thinking about how they can decarbonize and how we can run things through our, our innovation channel, either in partnerships and create new things with, with external parties or build things on new technologies like artificial using artificial intelligence or distributed ledger to solve that problem in a different way which is, you know, in Michael Porter's classic definition, another way to approach strategies, doing different, same activities, doing differently. So um, that's how those three things come together under me. That's a great overview. Thank you for providing that. I want to return to this idea of the digital first, mobile first orientation. You've been in financial services long enough that uh, presumably the beginning of your uh, your tenure in it, that digital and mobile were not first necessarily. Certainly uh, it's recent enough that they were in the picture, uh, but they may not have been the uh, the 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 primary format uh, that it is today. Talk a little bit about that evolution, and if you don't mind, uh, further reflection on the past, you know, eighteen months, two years uh, here in pandemic, um, the, the role that it has played in advancing some of that uh, that capability or even demand from a from a cons- customer perspective uh, to a greater extent as well. Yeah, it's, it's it's a great question. So you know, over the course of my career, I would say yeah, I've seen the periods of mobile banking or you know online banking launching. And then banks going heavily into building out more branches. Then we had the period where branches were going to go away, and then you know blockchain was going to replace it all. And now we're kind of in a mobile mindset, and it's it's been an ebb and flow based on how customers change and how technologies evolve. I'd say the the last eighteen months has sort of cemented a couple of things for me. One, it's dramatically changed and accelerated customer adoption of mobile technology. So I look at all the metrics I look at weekly on our digital platforms how we're performing interacting with our clients, they're all up, you know, double digits year over year, and it's a continual growth. You know, mobile, on the consumer side of the house, mobile is our number one channel. We have, between mobile and online, we have about just shy of 2 billion interactions with our clients every quarter. Now, that said, we have a million people a day who walk into our branches still. So it's not a mobile only, but you have to think about, all right, people, some people want to visit for certain reasons. Certain things can't be done. Coin and currency can't be done on your phone. Um, there are certain other services people want to get advice. They want to actually talk to someone physically about getting a mortgage. Some people are happy doing it over video. Some people want to do it physically. And so we have to think about how we knit together across channels. But mobile has definitely become the number one channel and most adopted. The other thing I think about there is a generational shift. I look at Gen Z and then the millennials, how they think about interacting with each other and with their money. And with companies, mobile is always the first way to go. Now, they do do omni-channel, but mobile is still the primary place people want to start. And so we're thinking about what people want to do in mobile. Let's, let's embed those experiences there and then allow the right things to happen in our physical footprint. But making that transition from being you know, what Wells Fargo and a lot of banks traditionally have been, which is a physical interaction first, technology supporting it, being a technology-led physical supporting that, that's the flip they're trying to drive from a strategy, from a strategy perspective. 
That makes sense, certainly. You know, it strikes me as you were providing that overview of the several different parts of, of your responsibilities that that uh, the logic of those coming together is in some ways emblematic of how the traditional silos of an organization are certainly not disappearing, but becoming more permeable. And it strikes me as you think about strategy or digital platforms or innovation, it's not the domain of any single part of the organization, but yours must be a function that is facilitating um, new kinds of partnerships first and foremost, within the company, uh, bringing people together, perhaps how they've in, in ways they haven't traditionally in order to do special things. Can you reflect a little bit further on, on some of those uh, new kinds of partnerships that are necessary in order for, for you to reach your own personal objectives as the, the head of the three different parts of the organization that you've articulated? That's a great question. So I'd say there's a couple, there's a, um, there are two cultural elements to that and there's one technological. But cultural elements to your point is, most people in banking have grown up in a certain area. You grew up as a wealth management specialist, you grew up as a deposit specialist, or you're a wholesale specialist. So you think about a very narrow set of products, uh, meeting a subset of customer needs. While our tech, our tech companies out there, so Apple, Google, et cetera, um, take a very different approach. And they're thinking about, um, and the FinTech community as well, thinking about the customer's journey. And that customer's journeys across their entire set of financial needs, and they're focusing on a subset or they're trying to knit together a complete experience in the, in the sense of a neobank. And so we have to take a different point of view. And says, let's not think about our product silos. We think about what the customer is trying to accomplish. And there are myriad ways in which they can do that. You, know, you can pay for something over time by putting on a credit card. Or now you can do it through buy now, pay later, either through the merchant or, through, or possibly through your bank or a third party. And so that's a different way to meet the same need served by our credit cards. So we have to think about it horizontally across the capabilities we have in the bank. And digital is a way to knit that together in a very seamless way that meets the client's needs. That is two challenges. One is a lot of the things internally inside the bank are siloed. And so we have to sort of think about how we upgrade our infrastructure. And as we, you know, we did an announcement recently about us moving to a partnership with Google and Microsoft around cloud, that's going to enable us to accelerate that process. So we can get out of our app silos, make things more horizontal and get access to the data to do so. The other thing is this culturally, is how do you get teams to think broadly about, you know, we have credit cards, we have debit cards. Most customers, at least my, my children don't think of it that way. I need a piece of plastic to pay for something, preferably they do it with their phone. Whether it's coming out of their account or it's coming off a credit line is not something they think about. So how do we think about what the customer's trying to pay versus lever and do that differently. So that requires people to bring people together across the organization. The other thing that's happening though, is that you're seeing that there's some great technology and capabilities outside of the bank's four walls. So a lot of us grew up where the bank had to do everything. Tech was internal, all your product development was internal. Only partners you had were with industry consortia. You needed to networks for credit cards or you know, for clearing payments internationally, that was the only place you really kind of worked outside. That's changed a lot. So increasingly, banks are becoming ecosystem orchestrators where we build some stuff, but we enable you to experience it through APIs, other things, and bring those in. And that going from a very inwardly focused culture to outwardly focused culture, meaning engaged in the broader ecosystem for our clients, has been a big change. And that happens not just on the consumer side, but also on the wholesale side, where you think about a company where a company doesn't want to come to your bank portal necessarily to do their business. They're banking through their, their ERP system and the treasury workstation. And you need to plug into that. And that's how they're going to interact with you. That's a very different model thinking about, all right, you know what the partnerships are in the ecosystem. So inside my corporate strategy team, we have a partnership group that all they spend their time is working with large tech and FinTech 
to think about what are those capabilities we need, the integration points we need to have, and how that creates a better value proposition for clients. Really, that's very interesting. You've mentioned partnerships now in a couple of different contexts as you were talking about innovation and, and part of it needs to be brought to life through these creative partnerships in addition to uh, this ecosystem that you've described here. And, and especially as you think about some of those partners, you mentioned, for instance, engaging with the fintechs. I mean, it strikes me as um, a, a really interesting set of partnerships that might be established. And in some ways, uh, you know, a hypothesis for, for you to, to accept or deny from your, your much more significant seat uh, in this realm, a bit of co-optition, right? You've got people who are r- rising in the financial services space, but don't have the many advantages that you have of history, of customers, of experience, of dealing with regulators, all these sorts of things. And yet they are sort of potentially are, are there to, 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 to compete eventually with different aspects of what you do. How do you think about the, you know, assembling an ecosystem of, of partners um, if, in, if in fact these, there is a degree of co-optition potentially uh, with some of the partners that you've chosen? Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting um, dilemma because we have whether it's competition or frenemies or whatever term you want to use, um, there are players that are very specialized, and I think about this particularly in places like the merchant acquiring space. There are um, some great small companies, not so small anymore, than now you know multi billion dollar unicorns who have done some great development in terms of focusing on segments of the market candidly that we didn't serve very well. And they found an opportunity and did it better than we did. So, and with them, it's like, well, we could, you know, that should be a province of ours, but sometimes you have to think about is what's the value we bring to the table. And it's not necessarily let's rebuild the capabilities to connect, you know, to someone to sell on Etsy and allow them to easily integrate payments into their website. But what do we actually buy them? Well, we can buy them with credit. We can actually hold their cash. Um, we can provide them with advice. We can connect them with the rest of our clients so they can actually have a selling opportunity. And those are the values you bring to the table. So we think about, well, maybe we should, that's a faster way for us to go to market. It's be- they're better suited, more specialized, but here's what we can line up behind it to make it um, additive to what we bring. And that's sort of the mindset we have to bring. And it's not easy because there are times where you're like, that's always been the province of the bank, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be so in the future. But I think we have to continually then challenge ourselves to think about where else can we create value? We can't just, you know, rely on the spread between deposits and loans or fees from, you know, clicks from payments for various forms um, to be the only revenue streams we have. Yeah, interesting points you raise. Um, I, I wanted to also ask you with regard to corporate strategy. Uh, this is, you know, th- there are those who might say that the pace of change is such today that to develop strategic plans. Uh, means that at the point at which you were to, let's say, print them out, to perhaps say in itself an archaic way of framing it, but uh, that the as soon as the ink dries, aspects of it are becoming irrelevant. Uh, and I wonder what your own perspective is, or even as somebody who may not have led a corporate strategy throughout your career, but somebody who's been very well versed in it through different stops of your career, what changes from your perspective relative to corporate strategy, given among other things, the pace of change today, the you know sanctity of, of, of many of the things you've already descri- described in terms of innovation and you know digital disruption and so on. How do you think about uh, what's changed or perhaps uh, what stayed the same uh, in terms of the necessity of good corporate strategy? Yeah, I would say that there's there are two aspects of that. One is I think you're absolutely right that that the you know we do uh, an annual process like every other large institution, um, where we we you know pull together the five lines of business across our functions. We get a corporate view and we sit down and discuss it with the board and our regulators. This is where we're going, or we see ourselves going over the next time period. The challenge is strategy never ends. 
it's a constant thing. I wake up in the morning and something hits the news. Someone makes an acquisition. Someone launches a new capability. Um, someone goes out of business. There's an economic shock. All those things require us to reassess what we're doing. So part of what we're trying to do is saying, here's the general framework we think we're going to go under certain set of circumstances. And let's get a trend on where our investments are going. If we're going to go towards mobile first, but not mobile only, or a digital mindset, then we have to invest over years. We continually have to do that and allocate capital that way. Um, but we do have to constantly have routines where we're thinking nonstop as a leadership team and people in their seats about how that happens. The other side of it we have to think about is sort of the, the culture change you have to have in the company, that it's not an annual exercise. It's everyone should be thinking every day about how do I continue to serve my customer better than my competitors or find a new value to bring. And that's a mindset shift that we're trying to drive, not only at the operating community level, but all the way down to the company. Um, and that tied to our agile transformation. Part of what we've done also is we're pushing along with our technology team to change how we work. So it's not a um, waterfall tech delivery process, nor is it a static planning process. All right, we said we're going to do this. We're going to march to the end and we're going to pull our heads up and see what happens. We're doing things much more in an agile fashion so that we're doing two, three-week sprints. And whether that's on mobile development or it's on just core product development and thinking about how we can then constantly look at where the customer is going and adjust on the fly, we have a general direction, but you have to sort of tack with the wind. And so that, that kind of approach we're kind of taking and how we transform the culture. You know, the topic of innovation, Aether, is one that's, you know, often talked about, of course, and in some cases, uh, difficult to, to measure, at least, in, or, or let's say it's measured in different ways in different organizations. And I'm curious, how do, you, how do you define it? How do you know when your organization has been successful from an innovation perspective? So I think there's a couple ways. So one way we are keeping a very close eye on are candidly on patents. So, you know, patents filed by the company, by our employees, and we celebrate every year. We have an innovators award um, ceremony. I, cha I chair that, that group and we sort of celebrate our people and make them think creatively and support them um, in doing so. So that's this one objective metric to see kind of how we're doing. The key thing for me is thinking about, you know, velocity through a pipeline. So I've got an innovation lab and we run a funnel process and I measure ideas in. And then it's not just about the ideas in, it's about once, which ones we push into production, but it's also how quickly we can churn them through. Anything in the cryptocurrency area, for example, is changing so rapidly that I just need to make sure that we're getting enough reps or enough at-bats on things to see what might stick. If I'm only you know, running two pilots a year, I'm behind. I probably need to run 15 or 20. And so we need to run them short, quick, learn, develop, change, move on. And so looking at that velocity of growth and how we can make it additive, that's another way to think about innovation. Um, the other thing is obviously, I referenced a little bit, what we put to market. And so I'm keeping track of, you know, here's the next things over the next, you know, three, four, six quarters that we're going to be rolling out. And does that keep pace with our with the industry and with our changing client needs? And that's, that's another thing I sort of measure. Um, and then the last thing I'd say, we do look at, some companies that are traditionally very innovative, mostly in the, in the tech space, um, not necessarily banks. And I just I do look at how quickly they're launching new products and how they're driving the industry. And we use that as a benchmark. And, and as typically those who are dipping in the financial services, we actually report out quarterly to the leadership team and the board. We're starting to do that around here are the metrics we're seeing how they're doing. Are they moving as are we moving as fast as they are? And that's sort of a metric for us. 
And who, describe the team, if you would, that is centered around innovation. Uh, is there is it a specific team that is focused only on that? And, to, and how do they, if, if it in, that is in fact the case, what are the touch points that they have with the various parts of the business to gain context and to, you know, for ideation purposes, for validation of, of, of ideas that have been developed, just to name a few different ways in which those interactions might unfold? Yeah, so there's a couple, there's a couple of different touch points. So in each group, so in the corporate strategy team, um, I have a leader who's responsible for what I call innovation strategy. And she is focused on thinking about that, you know, that third horizon, what's five, 10 years out that's coming down that we need to keep our eyes on. And it can be a technology thing or it could be an industry trend thing that's gonna we can see it's gonna impact us. That's kind of you know the, the scan of the future, companies coming out, et cetera. Each of the line of lines of business has a strategy and innovation lead. And their main job is to not only, from a strategic planning perspective, help the business think about how they're going to meet those changing customer needs and how we respond to competitive forces, et cetera, but also to look at the problems we're trying to solve and then tap back into that innovation stream of what's happening in the market, what's the latest trends in AI, what's the latest going on in distributed ledger, et cetera, to see how can we bring that to the table to solve this problem, find the problem in a different way and kind of canvas across their individual businesses. And we kind of pull them together on a regular basis to talk about trends and what's going on. Then the innovation team is really about both R&D and pilot and deliver, test and learn. So we get an idea, we say, hey, we want to move money cross-border over distributed ledger. Here's the client, here's the business case, here's the client scenario. How do we make that happen? You pull it into the lab, you can actually you know, stand up a prototype, you get it to run. Um, and then once you get to a certain place, you can commercialize it and you flip it back into the business. And that's sort of how the teams are sort of working together. So it's gathering demand from the lines of business. Around, I call it client-centered innovation. It's really about what problems we're trying to solve for a client. It's not about innovation for innovation's sake. It's not about technology for technology's sake. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, very, very interesting. I appreciate you also highlighting some of the examples uh, that, that flow through this. And you, you, you've highlighted a couple of places, some of the topics like artificial intelligence, distributed ledger. Um, the, the One of the things that I, I wanted to ask you about also was one of the challenges a lot of innovation groups have is going from a series of prototypes to ideas that scale. Wells Fargo is a very significant business. And in order to develop innovation that's going to really move the needle, uh, some a portion of what your uh, no, no, no innovation obviously entails batting a thousand. In fact, it's the opposite of that if that's the case. But that said, um, how do you uh, bear in mind those ideas or even evaluate the ideas that are going to truly move, uh, move the needle um, as ideas are in process? Yeah. So I think there, I mean, like any other investment process we run, there is, you know, for lack of a better term, a business case that we end up developing. When we start looking at, like, so in the, in the case of, using distributed ledger to move money. You can look at you know, your, your basic P&L, your cost infrastructure, uh, and the client use cases, and you can do a comparison at some point and say, here's what cost we move money over traditional wire rails. Here's what we can do it on a distributed ledger. Here are the pros and cons, here are the benefits for the client. Those are things we use to evaluate, you know, is it going to be meaningful? And there are some thresholds to say, you know, like it's, it works, but it's, it doesn't matter. And you know, I think that's where I have to be careful because what doesn't matter for us, because we're such a large player, can be very impactful for someone smaller. And then if it takes you know, it takes root across other institutions, 
you can get some group scale. Because you think about banks in the US, there's 13,000-ish, you know, and 60% is in the top, 60% of the market shares in the top, you know, 10 or so. Um, that long tail can have a huge impact and galvanize the right way. So we have to kind of keep our eye on that. I wanted to also ask you, Aether, I hope you don't mind my, my, uh, my raising it. Um, you're, you are a, a senior executive who's an African-American, and it, especially these times during the pandemic have reminded us in a variety of ways uh, how much further we need to go as a society in order to provide you know, opportunities for all Americans uh, and, and really incorporate uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, into companies. And I wonder um, what sort of reflections you might have as somebody who has risen to such heights, um, and, and I'm sure as a result of that has been, been an inspiration to others who might walk in your footsteps. Uh, what reflections, you know, the the, the past eighteen months or, or or across your career have offered as you think about um, the pathway forward to others who who, as I say, may may uh, may, may come after you. Yeah, well, it's, well, first of all, thank you for saying that. Um, and asking the question, I would say that there's a few things, you know, that kind of going through my mind. The last 18 months, the thing that concerns me um, is about the generation to come because the digital divide is real. And so for those, you know, kids who look like me, who don't have access to technology, whether just candidly the last two years go to school in a productive environment, uh, or more importantly, you know, the jobs of the future are going to be tech enabled, um, you know, at, at the at the lowest level. So if you don't have access to technology, you're going to be left behind. And that 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 really concerns me. That's a, that's something that's the top of my mind. I'm fortunate my kids do have access to technology. One of my kids is studying engineering. So um, I think it's a that's that's one thing. I think from a corporate culture standpoint, some of the events of the last couple of years, um, even going back a little before the pandemic, um, have, have created a unique opportunity, I think, at least in my career, where the awareness and, and focus on diversity, equity, inclusion has never been higher. Whether it's in the media, whether it's in our government, or candidly, it's a corporate board level. And so people are very laser focused on diversifying their boards and bringing people with different perspectives and backgrounds and thinking, um, which I think then drives management to think differently. Those are create huge opportunities. I think we can't though, let it rest on representation. We can't get to a point where we say, oh, we have enough numbers and it's sort of, it's, it's you know, number of blacks equal to the population, we're kind of good. I think we really have to examine the culture. And that's where we spend a lot of time here as well in saying, you have to have diversity, but you also need to have those other two components. Like diversity and inclusion are not the same thing. And so having a culture where those people who are different than one another actually can interact and contribute and feel valued and respected, don't always agree, but you can be, you know, it's that constructive um, conflict or creative conflict can be good, but you need to bring those things together. It needs to work. And that's where I think we still, as, you know, as a company, we're still working and, and society at large is still working on driving that. So I think it's about getting representation, but also now how do we get to a place where we can have true inclusion and then underpinning that, obviously, should get to a point of equity, you know, whether it's pay equity, um, et cetera. I think the interesting part about the pandemic, and then there's a lot of conversation about this, will be what the impacts are of returning to work post-pandemic, given some of the economic differences of people's experiences. You know, I'm in the office today. I've been in the office, you know, pretty much the last couple months. Um, other people have different circumstances. My children are old enough to be vaccinated. It's not an issue. 
uh, the people have younger children or in areas it's harder. And so how we balance that going forward uh, to provide people with opportunities is something we as a management team are wrestling with right now. Is is that thought process far enough along that you'd be willing to share some of what you're, you as a management team are thinking about in terms of what the future of work might look like? Well, I'd say that we can, um, the future work, I think definitely is going to be a hybrid. Mm-hmm. I think we are, we are an office culture. And I do think we believe that there's benefit to collaborating in person. I know I'm much, I feel like I'm much better when I'm in front of my teammates in three dimensions. But I think we now have, we've proven you know, as a company, I think largely as a society that over the last you know 20 months or so, that we can be productive in a, a remote environment. So we're definitely looking at it being, you know, having additional flexibility to, to manage, your, manage your life and sort of not have to be in the office and commute every day and those sort of things, which I think is healthy. I mean, I think candidly, when I think about my career, you know, I always had to make the choice, you know, can I go to that event at school and still go to work because it didn't logistically work out. Now, if I need to, yeah, I can take my meetings on, on Zoom from home and then um, pop out to my kids' event at school and come back home and, and get back into it. And so I think some of those things are well, actually, I think will improve life. I think we can definitely do that. So we're trying to make sure we're balanced about it. But knowing we're a bank and we have fiduciary responsibilities, there's lots of risk involved, you know, being in the office and have an office-centered culture is where we want to be, but we do want to have some flexibility. Given your role, Aether, you obviously and your team have to kind of keep your fingers on the pulse of of innovation and where it comes from. You've, as I mentioned, you've noted a number of trends that you're you're writing and investing in. Um, as you look to the future, any others either going deeper into the topics like artificial intelligence or distributed ledger, or are there others that you might wish to to underscore that that are representative of where you see the the bank uh, the bank heading? Yeah, I think that there's a couple. Um... There was two that I'd mentioned. So one is, you know, one of the things I've, I've been talking about with our team and with our, our, our management team and, and uh, others is that what banks do is necessary. How it's done in the future is going to change pretty dramatically, and it's already changing. And there's a couple examples. So one is, you know, historically, if you want to do banking, you came to the bank. You had to come to the, you know, ATM or the branch or eventually the mobile app. To do anything now, banking is becoming—I'll call it—invisible. Payments was the first instance where it kind of got embedded into other experiences. So if you were, you know, using a mobile food ordering app and you checked out, you just kind of had a stored payment credential, and it sort of happened. You didn't have to think about how am I going to pay. Now, if you go to a restaurant, there are many restaurants now driven by the pandemic where you can just scan your check with a QR code and check out. There's no card exchange. None of that stuff happens. So payments are becoming kind of pushed behind the scenes. Um, that happens you know, in e-commerce all day long, but it's happening in other places um, where payments are being, imbe- you know, being embedded and banking's doing that way as well. So, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm on a site buying a home. I can get financing in the flow. So thinking about how we deliver our um, capabilities in micro segments into other people's experiences, that dematerialization is something that's huge. And we're thinking about that pretty greatly. So how APIs play into our strategy, both on the consumer side and the wholesale side are sort of critical. The other one is what I'm going to call hyper-personalization. And so I think about it, you know, I'm old enough to have gone through, you know, eight-track tapes, <laughs> yeah, cassette tape, FM radio, <laughs> satellite radio, and now you're in streaming, right? Think about Spotify or Pandora or your favorite streaming service. Um, the algorithms are constantly learning about you and what you want and presenting you the music that you want to see. 
that's happening in other places. It happens in e-commerce increasingly. It's happening in search. It's now sort of happening in banking. So how do I think about the totality of how I understand what I know about you to put the service in front of you when you need it? You know, understand your life stage, your financial situation. Uh, and that can happen for a company or it can happen for a person. We're actually doing some things in the lab right now where we're looking at for our, our smaller clients, so sort of those under 20 million in sales, kind of the business banking and small business clients, how can we embed ourselves into their financial software that actually provide them with you know, real-time insights and real-time opportunities? So if you're a small business owner and you just went out and um, got a big order, you know, now you have to think about, oh, now how am I going to pay for that? Well, why can't we be right there and just say, hey, well, here's the financing terms for that order because we know so much about you. We know so much about your business. And we know who you and can. We might even know your customer given the, the scope of our uh, scope of our relationship and the scope of our franchise. So those kind of things we can do and uh, make a hyper-personalized thing to what you need, when you need it, where you need it. And that requires us to be a lot more thoughtful about how we use data and then how we leverage things like machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, to drive that. The other thing we're very focused on is how you interact. So in our world, um, interacting, most things are verbal. I mean, I'm, I'm driving to work. I'm telling, you know, telling my phone to call someone. That's a pretty normal existence. We're always talking to some inanimate object. So part of our um, relaunch of our digital properties is going to be, you know, a new digital assistant on the consumer side and eventually on the wholesale side. Um, that's going to be powered by some, you know, top-notch AI. And that's something we're looking at. Um, you know, the combination of do you do it in-house or do you find a best-in-class partner who does that well? And it's accretive to us to do it with them because it makes it a better experience, but we can deliver ourselves to that. That's something we're working out. We'll have more to come in the coming quarters. Oh, exciting. And I look forward to keeping eyes open as to some of that, uh, as more of that makes its way into the marketplace. Aether Williams, thank you so much for taking time with me today, uh, sharing your perspectives about uh, your this broad purview you have over such a large organization, uh, sources of innovation, um, your, your reflections on, on uh, b- both the vicissitudes as well as the opportunities that the, the pandemic have, ha- has brought to us. Um, it's been a great conversation across the board. I really appreciate you taking time with me. Oh, Peter, it was wonderful talking to you and thanks for the invitation.